Katie Kemner, and welcome to Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am so excited to start off 2024 with filmmaker and director Kai Dickens. Kai, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Happy 2024. Thank you to you as well. So I have so many things to ask you. Your movie is so beautiful. But before we talk about the movie itself, can we talk a little bit about your career journey and and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I um, I have a foot in two worlds. I'm both a commercial director who directs commercials, obviously. And then I also direct um, feature documentary films and docuseries and that type of thing. Um, and yeah, so Show Her the Money, which is just was just released theatrically as my fifth a feature length documentary. And yeah, so it's been a journey uh, every step of the way. Well, how did you get into documentary filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, uh, you know, it was a very poignant moment. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people can't pinpoint it, but I certainly can. You know, I always had a camera around my neck. I was obsessed with taking visual images from the time I was a young kid. And then um, in high school, I brought my camera with me everywhere. I filmed everything. And when I was 16, one of my best friends died in a car crash. And, you know, I realized like when we were all mourning and grieving and trying to handle what happened that I had all these videos. So we could like go and sit in the basement and a bunch of our friends, you know, with all the friends and could watch videos of our friend Carson dancing and looking at clouds and talking and playing, you know, doing jokes. And it was just like, he was brought back to life. And I think at that moment I was like, wow, I can make someone immortal by capturing real life stories, by capturing people just doing what they do. And that's, and I thought there was nothing more powerful in the world. And that was when I realized I really want to tell the stories of real people. And that's, I've been doing it ever since. That's amazing. That's an amazing moment. And, and such a a true discovery that you can go back and, you know, feel like you're with that person. Um, So your new film, and you share a little bit about show her the money and, and just starting with why, why did you want to make it? Yeah. So, you know, most of my films have a social justice aspect and, you know, I've dealt with paid family medical leave and LGBTQ equality and survivor's guilt and the healthcare and, you know, all, all types of, you know, things that are a real social issue. Never in a million years did I think I'd be making a film on, you know, venture capital and investments and all that type of stuff, you know, and the Catherine Gray, who's a podcaster, who's really worked on this issue, brought this to me and she said, look, this is a fascinating world where women have these brilliant ideas, but they only get 2% of the funding, 2% of all the funding out there. Men get 98%. I always like to flip it because it's just astounding. And she's like, and so many of the ideas that women have could change the world. Like there are these environmental breakthroughs, you know, medical breakthroughs, technological breakthroughs, and they aren't getting funding because people tend to fund whoever looks like them. And the whole system was built for men around men and women have been left out of this world on purpose. And I thought, okay, yeah, I think I, I want to learn more. And, you know, this is a world that was a bit foreign to me. So I started talking to founders who had these great ideas and women who were really making it a priority to invest in them to help them, them get their ideas off the ground. And, you know, like any good story, you just fall in love with the people. The people are interesting. You go through their trials, their tribulations, their triumphs, looking at this, uh, you know, kind of this ecosystem from the lens that there is such, such drastic inequality. Um, and that's kind of how the movie came about. Well, some of the um, the angel investors are so interesting, not um, to mention that Sharon Glass, 
Oh, yes. and Lacey makes a, a big yeah. appearance, which you have to explain. So, but can yes. you talk a little bit about some of the angel investors and and why you chose the ones that they did that you did? Yeah, for sure. So just like for a little perspective, so the film follows four founders, so female inventors. And then we wanted to look at the people who are being bold and courageous and funding them and have found that you is a better investment. Women will make a dollar stretch further. So you can make more money investing in women. And, you know, we sat with a lot of various wealthy women trying to cast who would be the right, the right two. And um, one of the women in the film is Dawn LaFrieda. Um, she owns more, uh, she's the largest female franchisee in America, maybe even the world. And she owns upwards of a hundred Denny's restaurants. And she started off as a waitress and she, you know, had a very tough childhood. She was abused by her father, you know, a lot of poverty, a single mother, you know, eventually. And she realized that in order to free herself and free herself from ever being so vulnerable again, she wanted to become wealthy. And so she became, she has a real rags to riches story, rising from a waitress to a, the largest female franchisee in America. And along the way, her best friend became Sharon Glass and Dawn and Visa Sharon from Cagney Lacey on, on her financials. And so I love that story as an investor, because I think so often um, when you look at extremely wealthy uh, people, it's, people can easily put them in a category, right? Like, and I, Dawn just kind of breaks all that down and she's a very triumphant story in her own right. And then the other investor that we um, feature is Wendy Ryan, and she inherited her money. And that felt really important because women are coming into $30 trillion in the next you know, 10 to 15 years as baby boomers transfer their wealth. And what are women going to do with that money? I mean, that is a big question. And so Wendy was a perfect example of this because she inherited money. She never saw herself as an investor, as an angel investor. And she thought, wow instead of just donating, which is also important to do to foundations and to the library and things that matter to her, she thought, I can invest this money, change, create maybe generational wealth for these founders that I'm investing in, but also make my money stretch. And so that's the second investor. And then we look at the youngest female VC founder ever. Her name is Pocket Sun. She started a venture capital fund to just invest in women. Um, and what was so cool about her story is she was laughed out of the room, right? I mean, she was 23 when she started her venture capital fund. It's like starting your own bank. No one thought she had a right to do this and she did it. And the people that laughed at her are no longer in business. She's one of the most successful venture capital, uh, founders that I had talked to in this journey. And it's a delight to feature all three of those women. So they all came from different backgrounds, but do you notice sort of a common theme among them? something that was similar? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, the ability to really network and make relationships. You know, I think all of them deeply want to help women in this world. And if they can't offer money, they offer contacts, they offer advice, and they truly walk the walk. They're engaged. And I thought that was really cool. I think another of of, of this is just doing your due diligence and doing your homework, right? I mean, I think they have a passion and love for female founders, but they also know that this is a vehicle for making money and making a difference. It's both. If you, but you can't be, you know, you have to do the the due diligence to like research this founder, figure out if you love what they're doing. Do you love the company? Do you think it can grow? So I think there's they're smart. They make great contacts, and I think there's a lot of obviously grit involved and intuition. Just listening to your gut is a big part of it too. So did you come away with anything? that you felt just, you know, spending time in this world that could be done to change this ratio. And obviously one big thing is 
people like you who are shining a light on it in the first place. And did you see anything else that you thought could be done? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing, and I hope what the film serves to do is as an educational tool for women, like you watch this movie and you are, you feel like you get like a college level class. that's also fun and inspiring and powerful and uplifting around the economic system. Right. So, but part of that education, and this has been like a real uh, kind of thoughtful decision from our producing team was we want to go, we're going on a 50 city tour right now with the film where we're going to be showing it at universities, at conferences, for companies, for chambers of converse, uh, uh, commerce, at film festivals with a panel. And so that we can really bring this movie to audiences and engage them and like give them the tools they need and have those contacts right there so people can jump into the world and ask more questions. And we aren't releasing the film right away on streaming or anything like that because we, if once you do that, no one watches it at these events anymore, right? So we want right. to make sure to keep people in the room. So I think the education aspect is huge. And sometimes education sounds like a dry, boring word, but we're, you know, I think the film really is uplifting. It's a human story. It's, it doesn't feel didactic in any way. Um, but our hope is that by rolling the film out and partnering it with this impact campaign, we can really reach a ton of, a ton of people. And one of our big, you know, initiatives is to go to business schools um, and get these young entrepreneurs and young investors uh, before they're out in the world. So when you're talking about education and people seeing it, is it both for people that are women that are looking for funding and investors that might be interested in funding or is it more one or the other? I think it's both. And I think, I think it's actually more for investors, you know, because women don't, you know, I think a lot of people don't know about venture capital, you know, forget, you know, just both, you know, I think unless you come from like the high elite, like, you know, Stanford grad, whatever, you're often not like understanding the world of venture capital. I certainly didn't. And, you know, it's a way that you can make your money grow much more further than the stock market, you know, and, and I think the film kind of demystifies that and how to get into that and really wants women to get into that world. Um, and I think that's the biggest goal is get women in this world because, because here's the thing, men have had the opportunity to invest in these women founders for decades now. And how's that going for us? It's not going very well. So you need women to be the decision makers deciding who gets capital and what they're going to do with it. And so nothing will change until women get into the game. And I hope, I mean, I think there's been a lot of men who come to the movie and are like, oh my gosh, like women truly are a better investment. They make money stretch because women have always been used to giving less, right? And, and having to make it go further and having to prove yourself more to be vetted even, you know, uh, more unfairly than your male counterparts and peers. So sorry, this is a long rambling answer, but really, you know, yes, founders will watch the film. They'll be inspired. They'll feel their own strength. But the big goal of the film is to get women into this world as investors. And more men as well? Yeah, I mean, certainly more men. But I think for men, it's like, look at these women and look at their ideas. Just because this might not apply to you doesn't mean this isn't like a brilliant, a, yeah. a brilliant thing to fund. You know, like one of the founders I talked to who's not in the film, like she had invented a cap for women to keep their hair when they're going through chemo. That's awesome, right? And it's not that expensive. You know, there's women who are, you know, innovating um, certain types of like fungi that can eat plastic out of the water. I mean, these are like huge things that can deeply impact the world. So let me ask you a question. Um, if just having spent time in this world, if mm -hmm. you are a female entrepreneur, do you have any tip for them to reach these women that are these funders? Absolutely. I mean, 
Number one, there is an investor for you. There is money for your idea. You just have to find your right people. You know, and I think for so many founders, they go pitch and it's like, oh, that I got to know, I got to know, no one likes this. It's like, no, you just, you haven't met the right person yet. But what I've watched watching these founders is they, they do find their people, someone who's just like them, often the same demographic that is like, yes, I get this. And it can take years. But like, look for your people. And then there's all these pitch, pitch um, festivals and, you know, pitch competitions where you can really get in front of people. There's these acceleration labs and that type of things where you just have to start doing that stuff and getting involved. What I will say is all the founders I met who are extremely successful now that, you know, we followed throughout the film, they didn't know what a deck was in the beginning. They didn't know how to get money. They didn't know how to know how to do a pitch. Everyone starts in the same exact square one. And the investors know that too. And they're often willing to help. And many times they'll read your deck and they'll review it and they want to help you. So um, don't be scared to approach these venture capital founders and to approach these investors. They want to know about you. They want to know about your idea. They want to make money on your idea. You just have to be willing to engage and ask questions. Also, I think that advice of just like go out and do it and try and talk to people, what's the worst that could happen? Someone could say no, is really good in so many different parts of someone's career, right? Because some people get held back because they're afraid, but just what's the worst that can happen? Someone says, no, thanks. Well, yeah. And what I have found just, again, like we followed a lot of founders, only four ended up in the film, but you know, they all had that same like imposter syndrome at first. I don't belong in this world. I don't know this world. I don't know what a deck is. I don't know how to do these numbers. I don't understand the metrics. And then I'd be talking to investors who were like, I love it when founders will like, let me look at a deck and give them tips. And then they implement the tips. And often I go on like seven rounds with the investor on their deck. I mean, on, with the founder before even like writing a first check, because I want them to like think this through and get to the right place. So the investors are more willing to go on this exercise with founders than I think founders believe, you know? I always think it's, it's so fascinating. And I am one of the people that off that feels imposter, imposter syndrome at times as, as well, but men, if they're somewhat qualified for something, will put themselves forward as if it's nothing. Women who are way more than overqualified will be like, should I be here? I don't know. And I fall into that category too, but this is something that really has to change. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's fun talking to the investors because they'll say, look, men usually overvalue their company by a long shot, almost by two times. And women will often undervalue it by a huge margin. And we have also found that if you give a woman a thousand dollars, she'll make that stretch way longer and way further than a similarly situated male would. So, you know, it's it's just women believing in themselves and that they have the right to be here, that they have the right to be a founder, that they have the right to start a company. That's, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. So I want to switch gears just a little bit mm-hmm. um, from, from your company and just talk about, you said in the beginning, you know, you're part of the time of your career, you're doing documentary films, which clearly you're incredibly passionate about. And then the other time you're working making commercials. How mm-hmm. do you, maybe, I was going to ask you how you balance that. Maybe balance is a wrong word, but how do you work that both into what you're doing? Because they would seem to be in some ways different. It's the craft, but in a lot of ways, I mean, in some ways similar because of the craft, in some ways a lot different. I mean, completely different worlds, right? But this is the thing that I love is that the world of like getting a commercial, right? Is so similar to what these founders go through. You make a deck, you pitch your idea, 
you're constantly like talking to a room, like, you know what I mean? So I kind of like resonated with that. But I, I actually, I love, I love shooting commercials because you work with these really creative, interesting people at these agencies. It's really compelling to try to tell a story in 15, 30 seconds. That's really hard. I, I directed my first like narrative um, film this past year. And I'm like, oh, this feels like so easy to do. One, there's a script. And two, it's like, they just have to like, you know, they can like take the time to think the storyline through and you have time to zhuzh it. Whereas a commercial, like you have to be like really creative, I think, for these copywriters and ad agency, you know, folk that are like coming up with these remarkable short stories. You work with cutting edge crew, the best equipment, you know, you've got, usually it's way more flush funding wise and crew wise than a documentary. So I love that world. And I just kind of, kind of book a lot of my documentary shoots around my commercial shoots. Like if there's a big commercial happening, like that takes precedent, right? It's like, because you know how it is in the ad agency world. It's like, there's so many stakeholders. There's so much money. There's so much faith in like getting it done well and getting it done on time. So that takes precedent. And then I just kind of work my documentary schedule, editing, post stuff, pitching stuff, developing stuff around the commercials. Um, I love, I love both worlds and they are very different. <laughs> so the, the one theme that I'm hearing from you in terms of you know, feeling passionate about the work that you do, especially the documentaries, but all of it really, and mm -hmm. photography and filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And then these founders who um, are passionate about whatever it is, their, their product, what they believe mm -hmm. in, is about being passionate about something. And I think, especially in today's world, which you just like, you're inundated with bad news and mm -hmm. scary things and I mean, a lot of great things too, but but it seems like even more than ever, this very divisive culture that can feel very overwhelming. Do you have any advice for somebody about following their passion in their life? Yeah, and I do, because I think if you love what you do, I mean, it's never work, right? And so I've been asked, like, if you won the lottery, what would you do? And I'm like, I do exactly what I'm doing. And I feel like that's, such a blessing in life to actually feel that way. And I actually mean it. There's nothing I would change. I love, love what I do. And, and I think, you know, if you love what you do, the money will come because you always will find investors. I mean, I think passion is contagious, but also you want to work every day. You want to work hard every day. You want to like meld into the world that you're swimming in. And that's just a winning combination. So figuring out what you love to do and following it I mean, I am like willing to hedge a bet like that cannot go wrong. It can be hard. It can take a lot of grit. Like sometimes you have to do two or three things to get there. You might have to work more than one job while you're developing this passion or this love. But if you follow that passion, like your life is always brimming with, with meaning. It just is. Oh, I love how you put that brimming with meaning. That's mm -hmm. what it's about, right? Finding things that really spark you and mm -hmm. spark other people. So what's next? Uh, have another documentary in the work. What are you interested in? Yeah, I mean, so I'm in post on that narrative I, I spoke of called In the Jungle, um, mm -hmm. which is about, there's a wonderful screenwriter, Chelsea Cania, who rewrote A uh, Day in Her Father's Life. Her dad was born deaf um, and same with the dad's brother. And one chose to go to hearing school, one chose to go to a deaf school. It was her dad who went to the hearing school, which, and he was bullied. And and so the film kind of looks at like bullying, but also standing up to the bullies as this like young deaf boy in Wisconsin in the 70s. And, you know, he ends up getting the girl and like, you know, winning the day. And, and so it's it's a lovely, just charming coming of age script that we shot in 
in a school in Wisconsin. We had to transform the entire thing back into like the 70s. And uh, I cast um, uh, the lead was a young deaf boy. We had a lot of deaf or hard of hearing people on the crew. I took sign language classes for a year. So that was like such, it was such a wonderful project, you know, just passionate. And it was such a good script. And uh, my producers, Amy McIntyre and Sydney Thompson, like they just pulled together so many favors to really get this done in a efficient way. And then I'm developing a docu-series with Radical Media. I'm very excited about it. And we are, it's going to be a four-part docu-series, most likely. We're pitching it in January. Um, and we're looking at consciousness existing beyond our body. I mean, it's like a big, you know, we're looking at all sorts of examples um, of things that kind of prove there's more than meets the eye as far as human consciousness and what we're capable of. We look at some of the most fascinating stories of like ESP and telepathy happening around the world, telekinesis, all that stuff. And it's, um, but it's all real stories. I mean, I've been watching this stuff with my own eyes and it's nothing I ever thought I'd be like doing a project on yet. It has been the most, it's been the joy, just the most joy I've ever felt as a creator because it's astounding. It's entertaining and it's real. Like I've been in these rooms watching people read minds and bend spoons and, uh, it's like unbelievable. So how does that happen? We're looking at how that happens, why it's possible and, and why science has been so scared to look at this for years when even governments like China, Russia, United States have spent <laughs> millions of dollars um, working with with ESP and gifts and that type of thing. So it's a totally different world for me. And it's really been, different. yeah, that's really amazing. different. Um, so for now, show her the money. You're taking it around places. Will it eventually be somewhere where we'll all be able to watch it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So right now it's on a 50 state tour. Um, and then we are going to release it, you know, broadly, um, TBD on when that's going to be like, I have a talk with my agent next week, you know, so we don't know where it's going to be yet, but if people go to show her the money it has all the screenings. People can also book their own screening if they want to bring it to their workplace. There's all sorts of ways we can do that live, digital, all sorts of different awesome things. So show her the money movie.com and people can do a screening of their own. And how about to follow you? Where should they follow your work? Yeah, on Twitter, it's Kai Dickens. On Instagram, it's uh, Kai Dickens Pro. So those are the best places. Fantastic. And Kai, just to end, is there one piece of advice that has really helped you through your life and your career that you could please share with us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's something called the ask method, which is about how to give notes. And I love this. And it's like, make it make sure it's actionable, specific and kind. And, you know, I think that carries through in so many different things. But like for a note to be actionable, like you can't just be like, I don't like it. Or I wish we had an airplane for this shot or you're like, no, like you can't do that. Like you have to give a note that actually someone can take action and make happen. Specific. I think the worst thing in the world is when someone gives me a note like this, or as a director, if I were to give someone a note that's like, I just don't like it, or that just doesn't work. Well, what does that mean? Make it specific and then make it kind. Like everyone's working so hard and everyone wants to feel useful. That took me a minute to realize that sometimes I would always be like, oh, I'll just do it by myself. And it's like, no, people want to contribute. People want to feel useful and just be so kind and inclusive with your notes, with your style, with your, with your time. Um, so I think that's a good one. And then the other thing, I don't remember even who said it to me, but at one point they were like, you know, there's no, there's no magic door. It's not like there's one moment or one person or one connection or one film festival or one project, like that's going to be the silver door that just like, boop, like changes your world. Like, no, you are constantly working. The door is always changing. 
like you have to just you can't ever stop you can't rest on one one thing or hope that one moment will change your life because then you know that becomes in the past and you have to keep 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 going keep looking that's great well thank you it was such a joy to speak with you happy new year thank you happy new year to you too i appreciate it <laughs>